Hi everyone, welcome back to Rat Depot, it's me Paulie and today I have a new letter for you. It's called CCTV Romance, Drone Strikes and Serving Face. I hope you enjoy. In 2002, Hassan Alahi was stopped and detained at Detroit Airport. A professor of art at the University of Maryland, Alahi was mistaken for a name on a terrorism watch list and questioned by the FBI. An early victim of the rapidly extending tendrils of the post-9-11 surveillance state, Alahi responded in a rather unconventional fashion. Rather than battling for his rights to privacy in court, or even, imagine, seeking reparations against the FBI for the blatant profiling, Alahi decided to document every conceivable moment of his life. The image above is a snapshot of an archive which contains over 70,000 photos of beds, transport, food, toilets, landmarks, people that Alahi has encountered since that day. Alahi has made a point of emailing the FBI these images routinely, probably the biggest file on a terrorist the FBI has ever assembled. This project has been reported on many times over the years, from Wired to Alahi's own TED Talk. Often, writers have used Alahi to stage a discussion on surveillance, art, and the era of the digital footprint. Wouldn't it be wacky and zany of me if I did as well? It's 2023, and it doesn't feel like hyperbole to state that the sense of being constantly watched and judged is a homestay of the internet. For some, it's the entire motivation for engaging in social activity online, to seek validation and, if possible, to monetize their image and market it to others, even if this means a near complete sacrifice of privacy. It has its own vocabulary, logic, economy that we all subscribe to to some degree. Cookies, biometrics, monetization, swatting, doxing, assassination coordinates. Each individual has to contend with how much of themselves they want online. But what about the versions of ourselves we simply cannot avoid giving away? In this letter, we'll explore some of the ways artists have responded to the growth of the surveillance state and the ways we interact with the powers that be. Buckle up, bitch. Let's advance together chronologically. Two years after Alahi was detained, American artist Jill McGid developed quite an intimate relationship with a Liverpudlian CCTV network. Filmed in coordination with Merseyside Police, that is, the local police force of Liverpool, England, for my international subscribers who may not be aware of Scouse policing, Scouse meaning Liverpudlian, which means from Liverpool. McGid spent about a month in Liverpool being followed by CCTV cameras in an attempt to build a connection with them. For McGid, to be singled out by apparatus built to capture as many bodies as possible for posterity, it was an early surveillance state romance. In fact, when McGid had to submit subject access request forms for the footage, as it belonged to the police and would be destroyed after a month, McGid framed these requests as letters to a lover, forming the diary one cycle of memory in the city of L. This diary, I think, is available as 31 instalments over email uh, to those who log in to McGid's website. Ironically, I wouldn't recommend it as the site security is quite insecure. The project, Evidence Locker, was an exercise that required active participation from the surveillance themselves. Therein lies the rub and one challenge to McGid's work. To be able to cooperate with the police, to have access and creative control over the apparatus of police surveillance requires a degree of privilege that in the context of 2004 may not have been afforded to other artists or people generally. It provides a contrast with Alahi's experience, who was surveyed in a rash and reactionary way. While Alahi chose to lose a degree of privacy to prove a point to the state, Megid has no such need. 
Megid feels safe in the gaze of the CCTV camera and uses the voyeuristic perspective of the camera to accentuate herself and her relationship to the surveillance. So while Megid's project is engaging and unique, it emphasises the selective nature of CCTV and how networks are built and maintained to oversee and otherize individuals who don't meet the criteria of a safe, passive citizen. A year after this project, Megid would begin the SPY project from 2005 to 2010, a commission for the Dutch Secret Service to install ours at their headquarters. I rest my case. Megid and Alahi are contemporary artists who engage with specific, more niche audiences who are more likely to seek out and engage with their ideas. Their projects can be hard to find or to watch, as they often centre around an exhibition or work that now belongs to a specific gallery or archive. So what about something you can easily see and engage with, something that probably sells in CEX for £2? Eagle Eye 2008 is one of the films of all time, in that it is a film that exists. It grossed about double its budget and now exists in the dusty, neglected cupboards of cinema history, along with The Accountant and Star Trek Into Darkness. But Eagle Eye has some useful, clumsy, half-baked things to say. It follows Jerry, a useless cunt who is bamboozled when a very large sum of money arrives in his bank account. Weapons and bomb-making materials are delivered to his flat, and he is informed the police are after him. The film, which spoilers... By the way, here I guess, if you if you really care about spoilers from 2008's Eagle Eye, escalates as Jerry is unwittingly participating in a plot to blow up the President of the United States during the State of the Union address. Along the way, Jerry learns that a supercomputer system called ARIA, Autonomous Reconnaissance Intelligence Integration Analyst, very catchy, has a chokehold on his life, able to incriminate him and have him killed if he does not help the system kill the president and other members of the executive. Now, given that the ARIA computer has already managed to kill Jerry's twin brother by engineering a car accident, would it not be simpler just to kill the president itself? Short circuit the engines of Air Force One? Alter the digital medical records of the president so that he's prescribed the wrong dose of heart medicine? No, no, don't be fucking daft. It requires getting a dude to literally just walk up and pull the trigger, which obviously no one has tried before. And when I say trigger, I mean he has to play and sustain a specific note on a trumpet to blow up a necklace. Anyway, I'm not here to shoot holes in this film, but to point out all the tools of the state which are used to control and oppress Jerry. When Jerry tries to revolt against the computer, Arya shows Jerry footage of himself and his family across multiple screens. The room full of multiple screens as a manifestation of urban surveillance, you'll note, dear listener, is also present in The Dark Knight from the same year. And later shows Jerry the CCTV footage of his brother's death, revealing <gasps> that Aria planned it all along. Mind-blowing cinema. Cameras and CCTV play a pivotal role in subjugating Jerry, and in this instance encourage him to take radical steps to protect himself. In Eagle Eye, Surveillance footage is not so much a concrete, objective document, but a way of shaping a narrative and altering our perception of someone's actions. Speaking of a discriminatory lens, have I mentioned that Jerry gets haunted by a military drone yet? Well, Jerry gets haunted by a military drone. The shot above is what the eye of the drone supposedly looks like as it chases the car into a tunnel, eventually having a face-to-face -face meeting with the chassis of a car. Eagle Eye is interesting as it poses AI and domestic terrorism as greater threats to the US in 2008 than foreign aggressors. The film asks, in a very blunt and obvious way, 
What would happen if the apparatus of the US military industrial complex were turned inwards on itself? I have a quote here from Connor Friedersdorf from The Atlantic from 2016. President Obama presided over a drone strike for the first time shortly after taking office on January 22, 2009. The strike missed its target, and Newsweek reported that Obama was made aware immediately that innocents died in the attack. By the end of 2009, the CIA had already conducted its 100th drone strike in Pakistan. End of quote. According to the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, President Obama had overseen 1,878 drone strikes by the time he left office. President Bush, a war criminal, approved approximately 50 drone strikes. Of course, Bush used alternative methods to murder over half a million people, but this statistic emphasises the shift in the tactical approach of the US military, the advancement of drone technology and the exaltation of remote surveillance to control and oppress citizens. Eagle Eye was fairly prescient then to include drones as a means of targeting specific individuals as early as 2007-08. Body of Lies, also from 2008, featured extensive use of drone footage, highlighting how the visual landscape of war was changing. This wiki list, attached, details other films that feature drones. It's useful to see how drones begin to appear far more frequently from 2008 onwards. Allahi, Magid, and Jerry show us the different implications of being seen by the state. Through the cold, hard gaze of the CCTV camera, the drone, the biometric scans. Can the liberal concepts of individual liberties and equality before the law coexist with the vast, ever-expanding net of online surveillance? Parallel to the growth of modern surveillance is the resurgence of masks, of vigilantes, of counterinsurgency. Protesters in the United States, in Taiwan, and in China develop new techniques to hide their identity, constantly in a dialogue with the surveillance apparatus that must also evolve to circumnavigate new ways to be unseen. The iconography of the mask, in all its forms, is developed in tandem. V for Vendetta, Rorschach, The Boys, all show different ways that masks can liberate anti-establishment figures or provide anonymity for fascists looking to enact violence. Masks can be a collective artistic response to surveillance, the Guy Fawkes mask, for example, has become synonymous with the hacker group Anonymous, a decentralised group of hackers who have done everything from protest the censorship of titties in Australia to counterintelligence against Russia during the ongoing Ukraine conflict. But this is all very big picture stuff and does not acknowledge that masks can also be cringy and embarrassing. What if I want to pop to the corner shop looking like a manifestation of Aphex Twin? Well, in 2014, Chicago-based artist Leo Salvaggio started an Indiegogo crowdfundme to give everyone his face. Using a photorealistic 3D printed hard resin prosthetic of his face, Salvaggio proposed people wear his likeness to avoid being seen. Using the money to fund production costs, Salvaggio did not sell the masks for profit and intended for the masks to be part of the wider discourse around urban surveillance and online identity. Naturally, I don't see many Leo Salvaggios out and about in Leeds, England. But the idea of throwing off facial recognition by using someone else's face is a frequent subject of discussion and artistic exploration. The Mission Impossible franchise ripped faces off, literally, so often it's almost become a trope. As the British government attempts to pass a law criminalising protest, as certain countries encroach on the sovereignty of others, as governments terrorise their own citizens, the mask offers a potential avenue for radical action. Let's leave the Guy Fawkes ones behind though, yeah? 
I hope you enjoyed this long read on the ways artists have responded to the growth of the post 9-11 surveillance state. This is a very long letter, so next Sunday won't be as long. Um, the form of these letters will chop and change depending on the contents, and I hope that will keep it exciting for you when it drops in your inbox every week. I'll be back on Wednesday with a podcast episode, and then next Sunday with something else entirely. Have a lovely week, and take care of yourself. Love, Paulie.